0: Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the wonderful privilege to come together as a church family and to sing the truths of the gospel. Father, I pray now this morning that you would position our hearts, that we would learn from you, and Father, that we would see your grace and your mercy presented to us in a new way. Father, would we sense and see the way that you protect your people and your comfort to your people through your inspired word. And I ask this morning, Father, that you would enable me to make much of you. Would we be a people who leave here beholding our God? For truly he is the Lord of hosts, a mighty warrior who can be trusted in jesus name i pray amen Turning your bibles with me to james chapter 5 and we are going to be looking at six verses this morning james chapter 5 verses 1 to 6 i'll read them now come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, How intense is this passage? Brendan and I had a wonderful chance this week to discuss a very important aspect to this message. Um, And just by way of um, encouragement... (laughs) This guy, Brendan, is a personal gift to me, but what a gift to our church family, amen? Brendan is a real big blessing, and I thank God for his wisdom, but the important aspect that you have to come to terms with when you're looking at this passage is, who is James addressing here? Who is he speaking to? So before we consider the intensity of these words, you've got to determine who is James speaking to. And as we read this passage, it seems quite a specific audience, doesn't it? I mean, in last week's passage, he's addressing the, uh, the traitors, and this week, he's just addressing the rich, correct? Well, would it surprise you to know that actually James doesn't have wealthy Christians in mind here? he's not actually addressing Christians. Let me explain. You see, James has previously already addressed wealthy Christians in this letter. Back in chapter 1, he's telling the wealthy Christians how to position their hearts, and I think he does it again in James chapter 4. But, but now, The tone and the content of today's passage, it doesn't actually resemble those earlier passages, those earlier verses, but today the tone and the content is serious. He's writing, and James is saying, and he appears to be writing to a different audience, and here's what we need to notice in these six verses. In verses um, 13 and uh, 17, he's talking about uh, brethren, the brothers. And in, uh, in, in uh, 5, chapter 7 through 12, he actually uses that affectionate term brothers like three different times. And we'll be looking at that next week. But James addresses these people as you rich He's not writing to Christians, but he's caring for these Christians. Wealthy non Christian landowners is who he's writing to. Those who are oppressing the original readers of this letter. In these opening verses of this chapter, James steps away from addressing the Christian readers and speaks to a different audience. Ultimately, though, James pens these words to protect and to encourage the Christians who have been scattered due to the persecution because of their faith. One commentator explains these verses really well and he says this. He says he James speaks to non-Christians for the benefit of the Christian. He's speaking to non-Christians for the benefit of the Christian. And I'll draw that point out a little bit later. But in verse 1, James abruptly announces this coming misery that is upon wealthy landowners. Look at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He's saying, listen up. Listen up, you rich, wealthy landowners. He's addressing the wealthy Roman and Jewish landowners that he references in verse 4. And these guys are to weep and to howl. They are to weep and howl because there are miseries coming upon them, and they need and they ought to be listening up. Now James immediately draws their attention to this fast approaching day of judgment. It's as though James is able to speak as a prophet and he's able to see what is about to come upon these wealthy landowners. He can see that dark cloud of the day of the Lord approaching and is going to strike them. And then James seems to lay out the evidence for their coming miseries. You see, first of all, they're hoarding. Look with me at verses 2 to 3. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosions will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. They are hoarding their wealth. They are selfishly hoarded. They have selfishly hoarded their wealth rather than wisely being a good steward of what has been entrusted to them. And we see there are three distinct markers of wealth and they're distinguished in the passage. You've got the riches from the harvested grain. You've got clothes and you've got gold and silver. And James perceives the end of their wealth. And the judgment that is to come. You see, their grain is going to rot. Their clothes are going to be eaten by moths. And their gold and their silver is going to be corroded. In fact, in many ways, this is actually already underway. And they're hoarding it all, but it's all decaying. And on that last day, that verse 3, wow. On that last day... their corrosion will be evidence against you, and it will eat their flesh like fire. So the wealth that they are currently glorying in, the wealth that they are trusting in, and it's actually ultimately worthless. It can't save them from their sin, and it can't save them from the wrath of God. Instead, their wealth will testify against them, revealing and confirming their greed, and their greed will result in their own destruction and will eat their flesh like fire. What a frightening description of their punishment for which they are morally liable for, morally liable for So in just a few words, James gives us this vivid description of the despair over their corrosion, over the corrosion of their wealth and the misuse of their wealth and the horror of being devoured by the judgment of God himself. They have selfishly hoarded their wealth. They have laid up treasures in the last days. So instead of wisely and generously stewarding their possessions for the good of others and for the glory of God, they have, they have hoarded their money and their possessions. They have laid up treasures on earth. They have failed to recognize that they live in the last days. The last days in scripture, that is inaugurated with the coming of the Lord and it will be culminated, praise God, when he returns in glory. But these guys are living as if they would never die. They are going about with no care. In fact, they're living without watching God's clock. Isn't that a great description? They're living without watching God's clock. They don't know what time it is, and they don't have an eternal perspective, so they they can't tell what time it is. They're holding as if their life will go on indefinitely, as if future judgment doesn't exist, and they're living as fools. Boy, graphic images of the destruction of their wealth and their impending eternal punishment that should cause them to weep and to howl. Not only are they hoarding, but listen to this, they are defrauding their labors look with me at verse four behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the lord of hosts it's it's not just their their lifestyle that reeks of greed their business practices are corrupt as well so in this verse, the theme centers on this economic, unjust treatment, on the relationship, of the relationship between the employer and the employee. They're exploiting laborers who depend on their daily wage for survival. Think back to the first century. They didn't have credit. They could not live if they didn't get their wages. This is an agrarian culture where credit isn't available to these poor laborers. These laborers, they needed and expected to receive their pay at the end of each day. But these wealthy landowners, they failed to pay their laborers who worked tirelessly to harvest their crops. The laborers who have mowed your fields. And now, now remember, Think back with me for a moment. This is pre-ride-on lawnmowers. This is pre-any sort of equipment. All of that, those fields that needed to be harvested, that wheat field, that barley field, that all had to be done by manual labor. All had to be done by men and women working with their hands, with their own sweat and blood. And these massive harvests of wheat and barley, it would have all been gathered by hand. And even though the harvest has been reaped and the wealth of these already wealthy landowners has freshly increased, they have kept back the wages that have been due to these poor Christian la- laborers. And they've kept it back by fraud. It's wrong, it's injustice. And what they are doing is evil. And if the previous verses weren't frightening enough, wow, it's scary. Because James informs them that the wages which they have kept back, they're crying out against them and they have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So the cries of these economically oppressed Christians have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts and they have received the attention of God. Wow. To reach his ears, to receive his attention, the attention of the Lord of hosts. Now, this title that James has, has chosen is, is quite intentional here because James is making a point. And do you need to hear this this morning? Perhaps you do. You see, the Lord of hosts, he, it, it draws the attention of the Lord being a holy warrior. He leads a heavenly army. There is no more intimidating or frightening army than the army that is led by a mighty warrior, and his name is Jesus. God has heard the cries of his oppressed people, and he is going to war. He is going to war against these wealthy landowners who have defrauded his people. That frightening reality should cause them to weep and to howl. There's another judgment that is going to overtake these guys because they have lived self-indulgent lives of luxury. Look at verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So these, they defrauded their labors. They have imposed hardship on them while they have selfishly indulged themselves in luxury without any restraint. James likens their self-indulgence to to cattle fattening themselves, completely unaware of the abattoir that awaits them, completely unaware of the approaching slaughter. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. (laughs) These guys are no different than unintelligent cattle that grow fatter each day, ignorant of the slaughter that awaits them. See, these wealthy landowners have fattened themselves with luxury at the expense of others. They live as if no judgment awaits them. And in effect, they're no different than cattle. Unaware of the impending doom, the misery that is coming upon them should cause them to weep and howl. And finally, they condemn and murder the righteous. Look at verse 6. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Notice there does appear to be a progression of seriousness of their personal offenses, from personal hoarding to the murdering of the righteous. James doesn't really give us any specifics for this condemning and this murdering, so we're kind of left to sort of speculate. We're kind of left to sort of guess what, what actually happened. But these wealthy landowners, they are directly or indirectly responsible for the death of certain Christian laborers. You see, these Christian laborers, these righteousness, they were either thrown into prison for debts that they couldn't pay, resulting in their death, or they were condemned to poverty and sickness and starvation that resulted in death. This gives us a frightening glimpse of the trials and the uh, injustice that these original readers were experiencing. And this thought ought to give us a fresh appreciation of James' exhortation at the beginning of this letter, to count it all joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because this is the kind of trial that our brothers and sisters were facing. This is the trials that they were, were meeting. And for some, guys, for some, it resulted in being murdered. Murdered by wealthy landowners. In these last five words in verse 6, he does not resist you. What does that mean? It appears to be that there is this absence of resistance. Resistance. And that absence of resistance on the part of the righteous person can only be explained by some sort of transformation that has taken place by the power of the gospel, by the power of the gospel of grace. No doubt, no doubt. Think for yourself hearing this on their behalf. Think about the the temptation to... not to to not show resistance i mean i would be tempted to 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 get my share i mean imagine the treatment that they would have been receiving from these wealthy landowners they would have been tempted to retaliate i mean this practice of non-resistance is not natural is it It can only be explained by grace. And so these wealthy landowners are oppressing the righteous laborer who doesn't resist but instead suffers. And some have died. Now, these guys, these uh, wealthy landowners, they should weep and they should howl at the impending misery and judgment that is stored up for them. So here's the question. Why is James writing this charge against wealthy non-Christians in a letter to the church? If he's addressing wealthy landowners who are non-Christians, why is James writing to to the church about that? If he speaks to non-Christians for the benefit of the Christian how are the original readers to benefit from overhearing this pronouncement of judgment upon these wealthy landowners? And a lot of my reading and listening to other pastors, it seems like there's two things, two great words for you and I who are also reading this word and are to apply this word to our lives. Would these two, would, would it be that James is wanting to point out something to us? Two things. This that we're overhearing or overlooking on is for our comfort and for our protection. John Calvin writes, and it's not going to come up on the screen, but John Calvin writes this James has regard to the faithful that they, hearing of the miserable end of the rich, might not envy their poor fortune and also knowing that god would be the avenger of the wrong they suffered they might with a calm and a resigned heart bear them comfort and protection these suffering christians would be understandably and easily tempted to resent those wealthy landowners and to want to retaliate against these wealthy landowners. But this awareness of God's justice and judgment would comfort them, and it would strengthen them as they endured this incredibly difficult hardship. For the original readers, think back to them for a moment. Think back to what it would have been like for them being oppressed by these wealthy non-Christian landowners, it, would, it must have comforted them to read. Wait, 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 say that again, James. Say it again. You mean to tell me the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts? He's heard me? Oh, when they read that aloud, that would have been, a great comfort to an oppressed Christian. Think of what that must have meant for them to be assured my cry has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see, what this is for us today is that God hears us, God sees, and God cares. He cares about my pain and God will execute justice. He will execute execute justice. Do you need to hear that today? He will execute justice. He is the Lord of hosts and he will lead a heavenly army in defense of his people. He will lead a heavenly army in defense of me. An incredible comfort to those who heard these words, assuring them that God does see God does hear their cries, and he will act. He acts in due time. And they don't need to usurp God's role in executing justice or taking on revenge for themselves, because he will avenge, he will repay, says the Lord. This was written to comfort and strengthen those oppressed Christians. Those who use their wealth to oppress Christians, they may seem to go unpunished in this lifetime. But James warns them that miseries are coming in the future judgment. That's got to comfort the oppressed Christian. But these warnings are not only meant to comfort, they are meant to protect the original readers, to protect them from that seductive power of materialism, to protect them from what the rich, the wealthy, are tempted by. And as they read of these coming miseries for these materialistic rich, this protects them, Lord willing, from the temptation of materialism. It would protect them from envying the rich. It would protect them from envying the rich as they consider their end. So it comforted them and it protected them. You know, James speaks to non-Christians for the benefit of Christians in order to comfort and protect the original readers. And because James is writing for the benefit of Christians, this passage is so relevant for us today in 2018. Think about it. Think about our wealthy, materialistic culture. We are bombarded every day by advertising, by catalogs, by billboards, by emails. I mean, I'm even getting phone calls. I mean, we are getting it nonstop. And we need the wisdom and the discernment of this passage for modern temptations that we face. I love what CJ says. He says this. This text is an expression of God's mercy to us. It's an expression of God's mercy to you and I, an expression of mercy to us in order to protect us from the temptation to pursue luxury that is motivated by self-indulgence and the temptation to accumulate things and to hoard things. Wouldn't you agree? This text is an expression of God's mercy to me and to you to protect us there is a warning from almighty god there are good things to be had but you don't want to get in the trap of the wealthy to hoard things and to pursue selfish and uh, luxurious living instead this passage is to 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 push us to generosity this passage is meant to protect us from the deceitfulness of materialism and to provoke us to lay up treasures in heaven through grace-inspired generosity. I think it was Alec Moytier who says this, by facing, uh, this is good, you're gonna have to listen with me, I don't have it up on the screen, by facing a clear-cut case of those who have their wealth at their disposal, james teaches all of us to respect in respect of whatever resources however small god has entrusted to us by exposing such glaring abuses he teaches us how we ought to use our wealth as an adjunct to a humble walk with god he shows us the pits so that we might not fall into them is that not kind of God? to to caution us and say there's a pit here and it's called materialism there's a pit here and you're going to be tempted to hoard here's the pits be careful don't fall into these things he shows us the pits so that we'll avoid falling into them and we must be alert to the pits of greed and hoarding and self-indulgent lifestyles boy and if we are employers listen up if you're an employer Do not defraud those who are employed by you. Stand up for them. How kind of God to teach us how to use our wealth, however small or however significant. How kind of God to protect us and to comfort us and how we use what he has entrusted to us. I'm wondering, are you teachable with your money? Would you be willing to submit your plans to the Lord with how He wants you to use your money? Would you lean in and gain clarity and understanding and wisdom at the gracious counsel of Almighty God? You see, we are called, every single one of us, we're called to examine our wealth, however small or significant, and ask, Are our purchases motivated by self-indulgent pursuit of luxury? Are our purchases motivated by a self-indulgent pursuit of luxury? Am I just accumulating things and, and hoarding things? What about this? Do I consistently and generously, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, do I give Do I give through the church and the needs of others? Please don't misunderstand this exercise. James is not forbidding us to enjoy good things that God generously gives us. Remember, James has already drawn our attention to the generosity of God in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. This passage and its application to our lives is not intended to make you feel guilty from enjoying a bubble tea with extra bubbles or a holiday that you're going to be taking over the school break. It's not um, that you can't purchase an Apple Watch that you have been saving up for. Hint, hint, babe. Um, and James, James is not con- uh, condemning being wealthy in general. He's not implying that Christians cannot be wealthy. I mean, think about it. Think about the men in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation who God has entrusted with wealth for the purpose of what? Their luxury? No, no for the advancement of the glorious gospel. This week I was watching um, a, a, a YouTube clip of a man who lives today. And this man would have so much money if he chose to delve into it. And what this man has done is he said in his testimony, I understand scripture to say that money is a trap. And so what I've done is I have a board who has started to take all of the proceeds from all the work that I do. And he said that we meet once a year, and I was trying to picture this. I can imagine how fun this would be. But he said the board, they get together on a de- for a day. I mean, that's how much money they have to spend, to spend the money. I mean, for me, it'd be a second. But I mean, for a day, they get to gather together, and they get to consider how they are going to delve out money for the advancement of the gospel. Wouldn't that be amazing to be able to just, yeah, Lord, this is all that, through the work of my hands, you have blessed me, and and, and this... uh, I could get a new car and I could get a new house and I could do this and put my kids in college and I could, you know, find your colleges or whatever. But instead they choose, they choose to think, what we have, how does God want me to use that? How does he want me to use this, that, that, that money? You see, the greatest test of our treasure is not whether we're willing to spend it, but who and what we spend it on. That is the greatest test. Money itself is not evil. It's not wealth per se that is sinful, but it is the desire to be rich according to First Timothy 6.9. It's not bad to want money. It's, 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 a, it's, not, it's the desire to be rich that we need to be careful about. It's not money, but the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evils, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, from which we should keep our lives free from, Hebrews 13.5. How kind of the Lord to instruct us about how to position ourselves towards money. It is this craving, 1 Timothy 6.10, in our sinful hearts which is so dangerous. And with all the strong warnings in the Bible about how we orient toward money, it can be easy to forget that the problem isn't money, but our hearts. Finances, salaries, and budgets, they're an important part of the world. Think about this. They're an important part of the world that the Lord created and he entered into as a creature with all of its limitations of space and time and finitude. So don't misunderstand. James is not opposed to wise saving or investing, but he does warn about selfishly accumulating stuff and hoarding stuff. So, would you be keen to just examine yourself for this week? In response to this passage, so that you might be able to receive the the grace that is revealed in this passage, let's examine our money and our possessions, however small. Let's examine our use of money and possessions. And so when you go to make a purchase this week, informed by the words of these verses, it'd be wise to ask prior to purchase, is this a self-indulgent luxury or is this a wise stewardship and a gift from God? Have a look around At all you have this week and own and ask yourself, am I just accumulating stuff? Am I just hoarding stuff? Stuff I don't need. What about the things that you don't even use? Ask yourself this week, where might you be laying up treasures on earth rather than in heaven? And think with me for this week. How could you be generous and meet the needs of someone else how could you be laying up treasures on earth rather than in heaven the lord has got it right when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive so let's ask the holy spirit to give each of us a different way to apply the text this week can you imagine what that week will be like you will be very blessed Investing in the advancement of the gospel where we are serving and surprising others, where we openly and generously please God with our money and our possessions. This is the application for this week. How can I live this week, this month, this year, in light of this passage to advance the gospel and for the needs of others and with the last day and eternal glory in mind? Now, I do need to point out To all those who own a business or employ or manage staff, there is something that you need to consider. There is a serious word of caution to you here. You see, these landowners defrauded and they mismanaged their companies and cheated their employees. If you are part of or responsible for employers please heed caution do not defraud employees don't manage your staff or your company in this way but instead as a demonstration of the transforming work of jesus christ in your life consider how you can appropriately and where possible generously support all who work hard all who are serving you and are working hard to get the job done. And this applies to salary structures and bonuses. You know, we want to go in and we want to get the best price for things, which is good and wise, but think about how you're bargaining for things. We are going to give an account to God for how we steward. Did you see the article in the paper on Friday? This is alive and well, and it's happening a concentration of unpaid workers has been involved, uncovered in Western City with almost two-thirds of businesses audited, found to be seriously shortchanging workers or failing to keep proper pay records. The Fair Work Ombudsman investigation found that 64% of almost 200 businesses audited were breaching workplace laws in suburbs including Cabramatta, Guilford, Mount Druitt, Fairfield, and Maryland's. People are being defrauded. If we are a Christian, then generosity should be something that is evidenced in our lives. Why is that? Because we serve a wildly generous God. Cory ten Boom says, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Finally, in closing, I wonder if James is drawing attention to the experience and the response of the defrauded Christian, not to the death of Christ. Think about this with me for a moment. Not to the death of Christ In his concluding verse, those last four verses, he does not resist you. It is in fact surely impossible to read those words, killed the righteous man, he does not resist you, it is, in fact, impossible to read these words without the lone and wonderful figure of the Lord Jesus coming before our eyes. He is preeminently the righteous one. His response of non-resistance is at one of the same, the most demanding example and the sweetest consolation in the time of oppression. And Isaiah, it says he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears, he opened not his mouth. The only true, righteous, and innocent man who walked this earth was murdered. He was a murdered as part of God's eternal plan for sinners like you and me, though he was falsely accused arrested sentenced to die on the cross and he did not resist he didn't open his mouth and he was the lord of hosts at any moment by merely opening his mouth and making an appeal for the heavenly army to intervene That army watching that scene unfold on Golgotha, something that had never been seen before, was ready to pour out full vengeance on the Lord of hosts. But he opened not his mouth for the Lord of hosts. He was condemned to die in our place for our sin so that we might be forgiven, that we might have the sweetest consolation in the midst of our trials. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you would extend such grace and mercy to us through your holy word. And thank you for the comfort and the protection that we find in these verses this morning. Father, as we seek to hear to apply what we overheard this morning as James was addressing these wealthy non-Christian landowners. Lord, protect us and help us to apply all that you have instructed us here. Lord, for our good and your glory, would we be generous as we serve such a wildly generous God who is all-powerful, almighty, all-coming and reigning king, and we look forward to that day.